Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hello, hello, and welcome to the 200th episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. It has been quite the journey to get to this point. It's hard to believe that we have recorded 200 episodes. What started as a video support to answer commonly asked questions about using inquiry to support my science and social studies resources that I sell on TPT has blossomed and transformed into the ability to provide professional development and support for teachers across YouTube, a podcast, as well as on Facebook as well. So we are so excited that you are here to join us for this 200th episode. If this is the very first episode that you are catching, I want to take some time to introduce myself. My name is Patty, and I am a teacher in Ontario, Canada, and I am also the teacher, author, founder of MadlyLearning.com. Madly Learning has been around now for a grand total of nine years, which is hard to believe that we have been helping and supporting teachers in Ontario and across Canada for that long. But we provide resources for teachers in grades three to grade six across a wide variety of subject areas, including math, social studies, science, language arts, and a few organizational systems and tools along the way, too. We are also home for Ignited Literacy, your spiraled comprehensive literacy program for the whole year. So we use this platform every single week, and I record a video. We post it live on Facebook. It also is rebroadcasted as a podcast on whatever podcast app you happen to be listening to. And we also save the videos so that you can watch them quickly on YouTube, as well as create a quick little blog post summary on our website, www.madlylearning.com. So if you have not yet, make sure you click the like and subscribe button, leave feedback for the podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about teaching with Madly Learning and how it has helped you or supported you through the craziness that is teaching, whether it's the last 18 months or even beyond and before that. So we are super excited that you are here. We're hoping that you had a great day at school today, that everything went well. My theme for today was I think I should have requested payment based on the amount of students that were talking out because boy, oh boy, I think if I collected a dollar for every time a student was talking out today, I'd be fairly wealthy. We'd be like, well, I won the lottery today. It was a little, it was a lot. They were very excited about sharing all of their various ideas. So sometimes you have those days and yeah, we're going to hope to not have those tomorrow. So this is our 200th episode and we have covered in the last 200 episodes, if I want to take some time to kind of think back to 
the things that we have covered. So as I said before, we started this as a way to help and support teachers that were using our science and social studies resources in their classroom. We would get a lot of questions about using inquiry-based learning and realize that for many teachers, using our resource may have been the very first time that they were using inquiry-based instruction in their classroom. And the way things go, we realized as well that so many school boards and districts across Canada are not necessarily providing a ton of PD or support in the implementation of a lot of things that are happening in our classroom. They certainly like to give us new initiatives to follow, but the actual support or step-by-step mentorship that we many times require to really implement something in our classroom was definitely missing. So we wanted to make sure that we could help support teachers to be able to use our resources in the most successful way. So we thought, what better than being able to jump on a new tool at the moment, which was Facebook Live, and use that. From there, we have talked about pretty much everything related to teaching. We've covered a whole bunch of topics, including lots on inquiry-based learning, differentiated instruction, supporting a wide variety of learners, subject-specific chats on things like teaching math, all the various teaching strategies for language, including reading, writing, oral, assessment. We've done some tutorials and training videos where I've co-opted my children to come and join me so that I could model what a guided reading session looks like or how to provide written feedback for your students based on what they're writing. We've really covered it all. And so for today's video, our whole hope is to really give you, the audience, an opportunity to ask us anything and put you in the driver's seat of what it is that we're going to be talking about today. And at the very end, thanks for joining us. And we are going to have a giveaway for one lucky winner to be able to win a $25 gift card to our Canadian store at www.madlylearning.com forward slash store. And you can find all of our learning products from grades three to six on our website there. So we had a few questions that came in ahead of time so that we can answer. The chat is also open. So at any point in time, if you have a question, feel free to throw it in the chat and we will add it to the queue of different things that we are going to be talking about today. So one of the first questions that came in was from a viewer through Instagram, and that was about balance, particularly looking at balance in terms of how do you spend your prep time and how do you maximize how you are using your prep time to get all of the things done that you need to get done so that you take less and less home. Because the reality is if you're like me, you are pretty busy when you get home. I've got three kids at home, plus I'm running Madly Learning. So there is a lot going on. So maximizing my time at school is definitely paramount to try to get as much done as possible. Now, it all starts out with understanding what I can and cannot do. And I set limits and limitations on what is possible and what simply is not possible. Understanding that I'm not literally going to get absolutely everything done at school. So 
in order to do that, I do block out certain times in my week that I dedicate to working specifically on schoolwork when I'm at home. Sunday afternoons or Sunday evenings, depending on what might be happening, is my time where I will block out and plan my entire week. So I like to batch plan and I batch plan my entire week's worth of lessons as to what I want each and every day to look like. I want to do that each day because I found when I was planning day to day. So if on Monday or Sunday, I just planned Monday's lessons and then I planned Tuesday's lessons and then Wednesdays and so on and so forth. What I ended up doing was spending a crazy amount of time each evening planning all of the things that I needed to do the next day. Instead, when I batch planned on Sunday, I tried to look at my week, not as individual lessons, but as a whole picture. What was I going to get done throughout the week? Now, these are very flexible. It's not to say that I don't take the information I gathered from, say, today's lesson, and that's going to inform my instruction for tomorrow's lesson. I definitely do that. But at least in my mind, I have a plan or a goal for what I want to accomplish this week. For my students this week, we're really digging into narratives and what a story is. So what is a story? Based on some previous data, it's pretty indicative of what I'm seeing, that they're struggling with that. So when I sat down and planned out my lessons on Sunday, I planned them out so that we would be covering what is a story. I have a shared reading. I have a plot map. I did the beginning, middle, and end activity today from Ignited Literacy, October week two for the 5-6 program where I had students tell me what components of a story go into the beginning, the middle, and end. That told me today that they know what parts are in a story, but we're not applying it to our own writing. So we're going to use some shared writing that I already had planned, but I'm going to make sure that I tweak and change what I say to them to reflect some of the data that I collected. But I planned all of that on Sunday. And because of that, I don't have to sit and plan out what each day is going to be because I generally have some time. So that means I'm saving time. So by batch planning on Sunday afternoons, you could also do it Friday afternoons after school if you've got time there. But batch planning has very much helped me to figure out where I can see a week at a time and I can adjust accordingly, but I'm not starting from scratch every evening, which means I can get some of my evenings back. So that's how I will maximize my planning time. In terms of prep, what I'm doing to prepare for my lessons, the easiest thing for me is using lessons and materials that already have a layout ready to go. So for literacy, I'm using Ignited Literacy. I'm using the Ignited Literacy program. I teach grade six, so I'm using the five, six program this year. And while I can take all of those lessons and activities, the ideas and all of the resources, I can take what's there and I can fit it in with what I need and what my students need at the moment. So do I follow it 100%? No. Would I ever recommend following it 100%? Probably not. I think you need to tailor it like the 10% to customize the lessons and activities for your own class. But having the layout there knows it helps me to batch plan on the Sunday. So because I can access those lessons, I have the materials that I need. It just means I have to figure out which pages I need to print to support the lessons that I want to cover this week. So that's going to save me a lot of time with prep. I make a list of all of the things that I need to print out 
And I either will print them out ahead of time. So I have a copy that I just have to run through the photocopier each morning, or I'll have a list and I'll print them each morning when I come in and then run them through the photocopier for the day. Depends on when I might have a prep and when I can access the photocopier. I try not to photocopy too far in ahead in case something changes. And then I copied like 30 pages and I don't end up using them because we do something else or I switch things out. So I try to photocopy throughout the week, but that's how I'm using my prep. Now, in terms of communication with parents, this is sometimes a tricky one, especially when you have a lot of movement. So we had, we knew we were going to be going through, for myself, we're going through a reorganization. So parent communication was a little bit, you know, you're going to try to communicate with parents, but you know, everything's going to be changing. So how much do you say, how much do you get into it so that before you aren't sure if it's going to be completely ripped away. So now that we're through the reorganization, it's time to start formally communicating. I find the easiest way to communicate with parents is through email. I will either use a email list through our school board website. So I'll make a list of parents' names that I will copy into the BCC and send that out that way. Or alternatively, I've also used email service providers such as MailChimp, which is what a lot of email newsletters from things like Old Navy or any of those shopping ones that are cluttering your inbox. You can actually use them for totally free and you can use them to mail out email lists. I find that a lot easier to send out mass emails with to a group of people. It tracks when they open it. So I can track when they've opened it. I can track if they've clicked a link, which is helpful to make sure that you know which parents are opening your emails, which parents have yet to see your emails, especially if it's important. I wouldn't do that necessarily for a one-off email to one parent in particular. For that, I would just use your basic email client. But I do like being able to use that type of service for say email newsletters or when I'm emailing the whole group of parents. It also makes sure that all of the emails are blocked so that if I email parent one, parent two doesn't see parent one's email. Now you can do that in your regular email client under the BCC field to kind of block off the other parent emails, but I do prefer email for communication whenever possible. Having a phone call with parents is lovely, but it also takes a lot of time. And I am strapped for time when I'm at school. I don't like calling parents from home or for my personal devices when I'm not inside the school building. So I do try to avoid, if I can, having parent phone calls. I much prefer parent emails, but there are some times where it is necessary for you to have a quick phone call. I like to either save my preps or recesses for that. Now, the other thing that I do that I think has really come out through COVID is using, maximizing my recess time. Sometimes I just want a break and that's totally fine. Sometimes I like to use the recess time to make connections with students because they're a little bit more relaxed. But other times I like to make sure that I can get some of that busy work prep out of the way, whether it's starting an anchor chart that I know we're going to finish the next time, whether it's a little bit of marking, perhaps I'm behind on a writing conference and I can use that little bit of recess time to maybe pull a kid and ask them a quick question, especially when they're indoor recesses. 
maximizing that time. I can do a little bit of marking, organizing, making sure the boards are updated. All of those things I find is really easy to do in my classroom during that time. And I never used to do that prior to COVID. I would always spend my recess time in the staff room. But I'm finding now that we can't really use the staff room or no one's in the staff room, that it's far better for me to be in my classroom, getting some stuff done if and when possible, because it acts sometimes as a bit of an extra prep. Now, there are times where you do want to break and the staff room is sometimes a great break to take or sometimes when you can just be social with another adult. So I would recommend that if it's you're feeling overwhelmed and you need a break to definitely take it because that is an important time too. So in terms of balance, it's just a matter of prioritizing what is going to happen, understanding that you can't get everything done always needs to be done. So pick a couple of things that you can get done and try to tackle those first and prioritize them. So if you hand out an assignment and you don't get it all marked all at once, if it takes you longer to get it marked, then it takes you longer to get marked. And that's totally fine. Be okay with the idea that it may take longer to get things done and that that's totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Now, this another question I had was about supporting gaps. I think the reality these days in classrooms is that every single one of our students is behind or has gaps in their learning. I don't think I've met a teacher yet that said, oh, weren't surprised by actually how big the gaps were for our students. And we get questions a lot in our emails at Madly Learning about how to address students who are working significantly below grade level and whether or not we should lower the resources we're pulling so that we can meet the students where they are. I'm a much bigger advocate for modifying and accommodating at grade level and simplifying what it is you're doing at grade level versus reverting down to a lower grade. I know for my grade six students, if I tried to give them something that was actually designed for a grade three, they would definitely notice and probably balk at the kind of activity I was asking them to do because it would seem babyish or smaller, especially if it had something like the cutesy fonts or it's designed for grade three. So if it looks like it would be a primary resource, I probably would not be opting to use that with my grade sixes because it would feel like they were using something lower level. I'm a much bigger proponent of meeting them where they are, but still having high expectations for them meeting their grade level. So I still want them to get to that grade level point and assessing where they are right now and then quickly looking at what the next logical step is for them to make the gains they need to make. So while the expectation for writing is still that they're writing in multiple organized paragraphs, if they're writing a nonfiction text or they have well-developed descriptive stories, they're not there yet. So I'm still going to teach them how to do that. And I'm going to teach them how to be descriptive and what they need to do. And I'm going to give them lots and lots of extra practice, lots of feedback as to what it is that they need to do and what the next step is. So for some of my students, that may look like 
They are working on writing a paragraph. So we may model a paragraph on what that looks like. I'm still going to make sure that we're explaining the difference is what a grade six paragraph looks like, but I might spend more time where I'm doing more modeling. There may be more opportunities for me to do modeling. There may be more opportunities for students to do shared expectations. But my goal is not to simply lower my expectations, but it's to keep my expectations high and just expect that it's going to take longer to meet them. So it's an adjusting your expectations. It's looking at not that we're approaching students from a deficit model of what are they missing, but where are they and what are they going to need to do to get to the next step? What are their strengths now and how can I build upon those strengths to get them to where they need to be? So it's instead of standing at the top of the staircase, looking how far down they are, join them on that staircase, wherever stair or step they happen to be on and look up to where we need to get and plan and systematically approach where they need to go and how many steps they need to take to get up there. But you've got to be down with them and know where they need to go. And it might not actually change what your lessons are, but it definitely changes your perspective. And I think that's part of the key is if you're there with them, you're meeting them where they are and you're walking them up the stairs to get to where they need to be instead of standing at the top wondering why they're so far away from you and figuring out, you know, throwing stuff down at them and hoping that they can figure out how to get up those steps. I think if we go down and meet them where they are, figure out what's on the next step and walk them through that and still know that that target and the goal is still the grade level expectations and that we can get them there, but it's definitely going to take longer. So if you are used to teaching them, say, in six-week units, it's going to take you longer than six weeks. And there's going to be things that you've got to focus on that you might have to skip because it's a lot of triage to get them to where they need to be. I also had questions about how to support students that are working well below your junior level. So you've got students that may be still working on letter sounds and they may be down at the mechanics of reading. And someone asked what my favorite programs are for that. Now, I will tell you that my favorite programs for that are things like LLI, Level of Literacy Intervention, as well as Empower. These are Empower is from Sick Kids. We use it in our board. They are systematic designed programs that help students close gaps specifically I find those are, they're more formalized programs to follow. I find those are key in helping students to catch up if they are extremely low. I would be putting students forward to see if they can get additional support, especially if they're sitting in an upper junior grade to help them. If it's your whole class that's there, then maybe using some of those elements. But I'm a big fan of if you've got gaps or huge gaps in reading, I think a very formalized, structured program that covers specifically things like phonics, phonemic awareness, that you are teaching them decoding skills that you're reading, decodable text that they can read, that is really important. And I think that there is a systematic way to approach that to help fill those gaps and also to look at whether or not there's other reasons for those gaps. 
when I was teaching grade four, I found it really important to kind of look at if I had a student that was struggling and behind, if there was no logical reason as to why they were so behind and they were struggling, it wasn't just that they had missed school for the last 18 months, but that there was something else going on. I made sure to advocate for that student to get them any support that they needed because that is going to help them in the long term. Even if it meant, you know, pushing a little or even if that student could kind of do the grade level stuff, even if they were one of the good kids that weren't a big, you know, red flag on fire screaming in your face that there was something going on. But I think that's one key too is really advocating for the students in terms of purchased programs, say by on TPT or on other sites, I really would encourage you to use resources that are formally created, such as the LLI or Empower or getting your resource, you're getting your hands on some of that material, asking for if you can use some of that material in your classroom with those students. Because I think that those are specifically designed for gap closing. And I think that that's going to be an important skill to make sure that you you can really get to those students. So I don't have any, say, purchasable by the teacher. I think those are really a system tool for gap closing specifically. So if you're sitting with students in a grade five classroom that are legitimately reading at a grade one level and they're struggling, I would be talking to your learning resource teacher. I would be digging into why there are such huge gaps there, what supports you can put in place, whether there are special programs that that student can access, and whether you as the teacher can access those programs as well. Last year, I spent my time as an English as a second language teacher. Part of my job included actually going into classrooms, or it should have included going into classrooms and providing support specifically to teachers around literacy, which meant I could take groups. I could do a guided reading group. I could provide extra support for those students. I could be in the class. I could either withdraw them or I could push in and I could be supporting the students in their classroom during their literacy block so that you had two qualified teachers in the classroom supporting your students at a time. If you have an ESL teacher, if you have a learning resource teacher, and if they've not offered, go and ask if that is something that they can do. Many times it is. Sometimes you're given the mandate that you can only go in if you're invited by the classroom teacher. So make sure you make it clear that you're looking for help and support and that you want that. And they can help you with planning. They can help you with prep. They can help you by taking a group of students during your language block so that they can get extra support for guided reading and that so that you're not doing everything on your own. There are people out there that you probably can access but it's a matter of reaching out, asking, and making sure you can get what you need. Sometimes these supports are limited, but I can tell you I was underutilized last year. I could have supported teachers in so many more ways than I was being used in that capacity. So I had students, I could pull them out. That's what the teachers wanted and were comfortable with, but there is so much more that I could have done that could have taken. And I offered, but I think sometimes we get so overwhelmed as teachers that 
we just, it goes in one ear and out the other that there's people offering us help that we could use that help, but we're not really sure what that might look like. So I think being open to using these support teachers, having them in your classroom, having them come and help you, having be open to experiences or support situations that may be different from what you are thinking or what's been done in the past. So just be really open and ask for that support because I bet you there are people that you can access that would be happy to come in and support you, which would help to take some of that burden off of you having to do everything all at once. So whether that's CYWs that can come into your class and help support your students, ESL teachers, math facilitators, reading specialists, learning resource teachers, they're all there. And it's just a matter of asking how you can access them and how they can come and support you. And they'll be more than happy to do all of that. So those are just some of the questions that we had. I am opening up the comment section. If you have any questions you would like me to answer, I am happy to do so. Those are some of the questions that we received to answer on our 200th episode. Lots of things about balance, about supporting students, and about lots of different things. If you've got a question or a comment that you would like to ask, you can do that. For our 200th episode, we are going to give away a prize. So in the comment section, in order to qualify, what we're going to do is we are going to ask in the comment section to let us know which one of the last 200 episodes of Teaching with Madly Learning is one of your favorites. So if you can't remember, you can head on over to our YouTube channel or to our website or to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast, any one of the shows. You can head over there and find the episode that you have listened to or watched recently that has helped you in some way. And if you leave the episode number in the comment section in tomorrow at the same time, we will pick a comment as the winner to win a $25 gift card to the Madly Learning store. So if it was an episode on inquiry, on differentiation, on language, whether it was teaching reading, teaching writing, what guided reading looks like, all of those episodes are there. So if you're not sure what the episode number was, you can always put the title in too, but you can go to any, our, any one of our show pages, YouTube, Facebook, or any podcast service. They will have all of the episode numbers in the title, and we just love to know which episode of the last 200 has been your favorite, and we will select a winner from those that leave uh, a comment, whether you are watching right now on YouTube or whether you are watching on Facebook, we will pick one winner from all of those entries and we will announce that tomorrow at about four o'clock. So that is all that we have for today for our 200th episode. We can't wait for you to join us for our 201st episode, which will be coming in two weeks. So this episode will be shared out next Tuesday on YouTube as well as on our podcast. 
And then beyond that, we will have new episodes following mid-October for 201 and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us today and for supporting us all through the last 200 episodes. We cannot wait to continue to help and support you through this platform so that we can continue to make teaching and learning fun, engaging for both you and your students. So thanks so much for joining us and we will see you soon on another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.